Hello out there. My name is Mark Stevens, and this is another edition of our Eurythmics podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Rex Saldana. Hello again, Rex. Hey, Mark. Nice to be back with another podcast. Absolutely. Especially after our last one. Oh, with Janice Jameson. Oh, my yeah. God. Wasn't she, <laughs> wasn't she fantastic? A great podcast. So joyous and fun. and uh, She was hilarious, too. I mean, just... I. I, I I keep I'm, I listen to that podcast myself. I know it's weird we listen to our own podcast, but I was listening to it again the other day because she's so funny. She's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know people are enjoying it, and I know she had a great time too. And we'll probably do another one with her at some point. I hope so. You know, I, 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 we should mention that as we record this, uh, depending on when you're listening, of course, but there are only a few days left. Uh, for fan voting for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, and where 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 are you Eurythmics at at the moment? Right now, they're just over four hundred and twenty-five thousand votes, yeah. and and just last week they hit, or what, a couple of weeks ago they hit the three hundred thousand mark. So yeah, they're doing really well, holding their own in the top five, um, which is so great to see because you know last time it was kind of like, you know, there wasn't didn't seem to be as much momentum. So yeah, it's really great to see that. Yeah, um, really, really hopeful about that. I like that they're staying, they've stayed at fourth. That top five has stayed basically the same almost from the get-go. It's changed around a little bit, but that yeah. same five, which is interesting. That doesn't always happen. It's it's great to see the Eurythmic staying power, you know? Um, and I know Eurythmics fans from around the world have been voting, and uh, I know I do. It's kind of a ritual, but I noticed that Mary on the fans of Eurythmics Facebook page. She she talked about that in one of the posts, and she said, I will be kind of sad when the vote will end because it's like an everyday everyday habit for me. I think she's right. It's become this kind of thing. I get up and I go vote. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every morning with my coffee, I do it. So anyway, yeah. But anyway, okay. So I know a lot of us are hoping that Annie and Dave are inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we're going to talk a little bit about that with our guest today. Uh, and so I want to introduce our guest now. I'm so pleased she's joining us. Uh, we have Meredith Oaks with us. Meredith is an award-winning broadcaster, journalist, author, musician, photographer, national public radio commentator, and music reviewer. If you've not heard some of her insightful work on NPR, I'd urge you, I'd urge you to go look to the NPR website and listen and read it. Uh, but as a talk radio personality and writer, she's interviewed more than a thousand celebrities, newsmakers, entrepreneurs. She's also, now listen to this, the first female editor at Guitar World magazine. Uh, her work has appeared in numerous publications, including Entertainment Weekly and Rolling Stone. And she's the author of three books, two of which brought me to invite her to be a guest on our podcast. Aretha, the Queen of Soul, uh, a, life of, a Life in Photographs, and most importantly, Rock and Roll Woman, the 50th, the 50 fiercest, no, fiercest, fiercest, I can't say it, uh, Meredith, the 50 fiercest <laughs> female rockers I'm going to ask you why, how you came up with that title and why, and why it's so difficult for me to say that. Uh, in, <laughs> in that book, she profiles 50 of music's most influential and innovative artists, and not surprisingly, while we're here, one of those 50 is Annie Lennox. Welcome, Meredith, to the podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thanks. You you've done a lot that, and I have to say that. But the biography of what I read really doesn't encompass all that you've done. So we're really thrilled that you've given us a little bit of your time to uh, to do our podcast. I'm glad to do it. And I thank you for inviting me. And I love to talk about Rock and Roll Woman. I, I love that book. And I, I don't read it all the time anymore, you know, but I, I took it down this week and I'm, I was reading through it. And I was like, man, I'm really proud of this book. You should be. It's a really great Yeah. And one thing I noticed, I want to ask you real quickly. So you've got the Aretha book, you've got the Rock and Roll Women book, you've also got a book on Bruce Springsteen. And I was looking, and 
all three books, it looked like they came out in 2018. Is that correct? It looks like that, but the Springsteen book was uh, in its second printing in 2018. That actually came out in 2014. So, yeah, it looks crazy. How could anyone write three books in one year? It's not yes. possible. I was going to ask, what on earth were you thinking? But, uh, <laughs> or snorting. I mean, who could do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when I when I bought the book, uh, and it must have just been out. I was at Barnes & Noble, and it was you – know, one of the books on display and, you know, always, you know, you're, you're on a podcast about Eurythmics hosted by Eurythmics fans. So I see a book like rock and roll woman. I'm picking that up and I'm flipping through it. Is Annie Lennox in here? Is any, oh, Annie Lennox in here? So of course I had to buy that book. So, uh, but it's a really great book, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the beginning of the book and, and how you, you start the book and you start the book with sister Rosetta Tharp, who was interestingly enough was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2018, which was the first year Eurythmics were also nominated. They of course didn't get in that year, but they were also nominated that year. And that's probably, and I hate to admit it, but that's when I probably learned about sister Rosetta Tharp. And when you, you know, when you look her up on YouTube and you're just, Oh my God! <laughs> talk, you know, talk a little bit about her and 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 you know, she had recorded recorded her first music eighty years ago when you put this book out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really pleased that I started working on. I mean, essentially, I've been working on this book my entire career because it has insights and information that I've gathered over the years. But I started writing it in two thousand seventeen. And I insisted that Rosetta Tharp be number one because she is literally the cornerstone of rock and roll. And a lot of the guys who get credited for inventing rock and roll were huge fans of Rosetta Tharp. Her guitar playing, her use of amplification, her dance moves, her uh, the way she used gospel and slipped effortlessly between secular and religious worlds. Um, so I said to my publisher, because we went back and forth about the list of of artists for a very long time. And I said, you got to let me start with Rosetta. You must let me put, and then she was uh, nominated and inducted the year the book came out. So I was vindicated. Oh, wow. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That, that really is good timing. Very good. I know at the end of the chapter about, uh, about Tharp, uh, you said Tharp gave rock and roll its rhythm, its soul, its feel, its power, and even its rebellion that she is finally in its hall of fame is only right. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's great. Um, and so, you know, let's, we fast forward, you know, to all the other uh, women that you included in your book, of course, including Annie Lennox. How did you decide what 50 it would be? Because I think you talk about, you know, there are a whole lot of women you could have put in this book, but you had to, you had to have a number. You had to decide. How did you do that? How did you go about it? And follow that up with, you know, how did you decide Annie Lennox had to be one of those 50? It was an excruciating process because I'm such a huge fan. I'm a huge music fan and I love these artists and I, I really, it, it hurts to take someone out. But ultimately, I didn't want to just make a book of 50 separate stories. I wanted to build this narrative arc where you could see the connection between uh, the women. Um, and it kind of moves back and forth on the timeline of music because most people learn about music that way. They, they discover an artist when they're young, that artist talks about someone who influenced them and then they go back and, and search for that person. So, um, you know, in putting together the final list and whenever you make a list, the first thing people some people want to do is tell you uh, who you did not include and excoriate you for that. You know, so I, I expected some of that, but really, you know, a lot, most of those people in talking with them, I discovered that they didn't actually read the book. They just kind of looked through the table of contents and, or maybe not even that, um, like looked at the cover, which I think has four women on it. So, you know, one person said, there's no women of color in here. I'm like, dude, Tina Turner is on the front. All right. And there's lots more. Anyway, it, things like that. So, but to, to create this uh, this flow uh, from chapter one to the end, uh, it was it was very difficult. But it, everything had to make sense. Um, we picked the word fierce 
to sort of signify, you know, what what is rock and roll? We were trying to really keep it to rock and roll artists. I love Madonna. I love Lady Gaga. They're pop artists. They're uh, shape-shifting, magnificent artists. But I wouldn't call them rock and rollers. So uh, they, there had to be some connection to rock music, uh, some fundamental thing. And with Annie Lennox, obviously innovative and and uh, her artistry and this unparalleled voice of hers. But her roots are in soul music, in Motown, in uh, Stax. Dave Stewart loved American blues. That's the cornerstone of rock and roll. In the 80s, you know, new wave bands were rock bands. And so that's that's some of the, the reasoning why Annie Lennox is in here. Also because she's kind of on this timeline with – uh, with Aretha Franklin, obviously, um, but also with Big Mama Thornton, who dressed in men's suits and performed uh, a lot of times like that and sometimes wore these like chandelier earrings with this like tweed suit. And she was very tall and very commanding presence and kind of reminded me of the Sweet Dreams video, you know, where where Annie's dressed in a man's suit and she's the CEO. Mm -hmm. Big Mama Thornton was was the CEO of the stage, no matter who she played. She could play with Money Waters or she could play with, with hippies pickup band and she ruled she dominated so on that level too it made sense to include annie and also in terms of you know the artists she influenced who've come up since and everyone from marilyn manson to uh i mean to not take a rock and roller but adele i mean lady gaga right who did her own uh earl thing showing up at right. uh, some people exactly. any listener of this podcast probably knows that annie dressed as a man at, at uh, the grammys and P.S., they weren't really all that known. I mean, they were starting to get famous. Who does that? Who shows up on a red carpet like that when you're a new artist? It was astonishing. Right. Um, you right. know, many years later, Lady Gaga did what I, I consider an homage, dressing as uh, in a pompadour and pants mm -hmm. as a character called Joey. Um, you know, people. Yeah, it, it was it was almost identical in, in look and 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 some of the the photographs were even they even looked the same as you know the photographs of Annie, so clearly it was an homage. Yes, and I believe it was Joe Calderon. Joe Calderon, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm a big Gaga fan as well. So, <laughs> oh right, I mean she and honestly, I think she would have gotten around to Joe Calderon at some point with or without oh, yeah, yeah. i mean she's she has just appeared as so many different characters same as annie has did as well back in the day so anyway so i, I felt like her influence and her connection to rock music firmly placed her on on the narrative arc of my book i think this is a good time for me to mention what i was gonna we talked about a, a little bit about this before the podcast started but what a comprehensive list you have here of, of female rockers i mean you mentioned you know some people have said where you know who, wh how come this person isn't on the list but when i look at the list i think it's pretty comprehensive from like the 30s up to the present and i think it pretty much includes everyone that you would you would think should be there you know from that genre from from rock and roll so great list. Thank you for for including the the newer artists too. You know, which you don't see that a lot in lists sometimes. Thank you for um, for saying that. I mean, an, another I had many um, lofty goals for this book. In addition to honoring these extraordinary women, some of whom are not as well known as they should be, but I wanted something that parents could read and then their kids could read, because like my generation, we did not share music with our parents, and now I feel like it, it's all changed and young gen z's are obsessed with the 80s with the 90s right um well, and so this is and i think music hasn't changed you know it's sort of reached its zenith with maybe new wave and punk and rap and then now it's kind of just sort of everybody's just mixing it all together now and doing whatever they want but yes like with my parents we didn't share music because their music was you know from the 40s 50s right but Today's music is all kind of, it all sounds kind of modern. So the young people can get into the 80s music because it sounds similar to what we're listening to today. Um, yeah, well, I, I think- Having said that, I did raid my parents' record collection, you know, but- Oh, um, what did you find? <laughs> oh my Any gosh, gems? you know, like just, just music from like the 40s and 50s, pop, you know, pop standards from the 50s. Um, I have a soft spot for like, all those easy listening hits from the sixties, you know, like the association, um, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, 
I don't know. So thank you, mom and dad. You know, it's, it's, we didn't exchange music, but I discovered it on my own. It's really funny that, all right. So my parents had like six records and in their tiny record collection, I found Tom Jones. I, my mom, for my mom, Frank Sinatra was it. And then maybe some Tom Jones. And I was like, what's the deal with Tom Jones? Why, why do women throw their underwear at him? I don't get it. Then I met him and I totally get it. (laughs) Smoldering, just, completely like i mean it's hard to form sentences around tom jones i'll just say that did did you did you throw your underwear out? i did not <laughs> <laughs> my underwear is very expensive <laughs> i'm not giving it up but i get it now um but i i mean yeah. essentially i wanted the book to to be a thing that a family could share um because sometimes you meet a person and they you'll mention an artist and they go oh that's before my time and i'm like when I was a teenager, I was voracious for music that was before my time. I went after, yeah. I had to, you know, pursue it and not on the internet because there wasn't really that. Um, so it's, I just thought it would be nice that uh, for a book to span all these decades that, you know, kids could maybe not fight with their parents or say, oh, your music. Ah, I don't, I don't want to hear about Pat Benatar. But then when you read about the kind of person she was and all of the things she did, it might interest them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Something like that. One thing that I like, really like about the book is that for each chapter, for each uh, woman in the book, that you list who influenced that person and you also in you list who that person influenced. With Annie, for example, you mentioned Amy Winehouse, Joss Stone, Adele, Pink. Um, why did you think that was important and to include both of those, who influenced, who influenced and who they were influencing. Part of that was to show the connection between artists as part of, you know, building that sort of narrative arc for the a list of 50 different women. Um, but the other part was a sneaky way to get more names into the book of artists I love. So I couldn't write a whole chapter about Joss Stone, but I could put her on this timeline of women who have influenced one another. Yeah, and I, I should mention, you said for Annie Lennox's influences, you said Dusty Springfield, of course, Aretha Franklin, Debbie Harry, Tina Turner, Joni Mitchell, of course, and there's a guy here, David Bowen. <laughs> I felt that was really important because I, I think Eurythmics, well, I, you guys know Eurythmics combined this icy European synth artistry with this deep soul, and uh, it was a very unusual combination, but it was all in there. And Bowie was a huge part of that. I think it's interesting that Annie, um, you know, she was, she was a baby boomer is a baby boomer, but she's kind of in between. And so, you know, she has always said, well, I was too young to be a hippie, but too old to be a punk rocker. So I think that's really cool because she had to invent this other thing, this other way of expressing herself as a creative person. And, and uh, so it's another way of like taking what you think is a detriment, turning it into an asset. And that's something she did throughout her career. Um, exactly. Do you, you, you talked a little bit earlier, you know, people would say that, well, you didn't include so-and-so. Did you, when you finished it, did you go back and say, Oh, I wish I had included someone else. Or are you happy with your 50? I mean, I, I love the book. I, I love, I think it makes a, a compelling read from start to finish conversely you can also read one chapter in the middle and go back and forth and it all makes sense but i mean i'm pretty happy with it but sure i'll always think i wish i could have you know i would love to do volume two that that could happen in the near future so that will allay some of my guilt for leaving out these artists who i really love (laughs) now would you would you do one that you that 50 and you would do pop this is specifically rock would you do that I would probably stick to rock just because, you know, I think pop gets the most spotlight shown on it, especially now. And with people declaring the death of guitar and all that stuff, which I is, I don't agree with. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll keep rock and roll eternal flame going. All right. The death of the guitar happens about every 15 years. Exactly. It? Yeah, sure. Always has. <laughs> and, then, and then it comes back like a year later. <laughs> Actually, it never goes away, but there's this perception. Well, yeah, you got to write on something, and it's probably going to be a piano or a guitar. Exactly. Well, it's so interesting because Dave Stewart was always had his guitar out 
but when they sort of moved uh, on Be Yourself Tonight into more of a rock, and then especially with the Revenge album, you know, some fans were like, uh, no, 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 put, put away the guitar. Of course, they, they added a lot of new fans. And I think that was always, for me anyway, the big thing about Eurythmics, that they were smart enough to know we can't stay exactly the same. We're never going to evolve. And I think they've been around because they did that. And they that they did bring the guitar to the forefront. Um, well, yeah. also, genres are for marketing, essentially. I mean, they're for for placing music and selling music and figuring out how to sell it. Musicians don't even think that way other than in terms of their public front. For an art, A musician is just going to play what they like. Dave Stewart listened to American blues men who were just acoustic guitar players. So, yeah, I mean, it, it all it makes sense to to keep your options open as an artist. And I would imagine it's kind of boring to not evolve. And it's nice if your fans come with you. They don't always. But mm-hmm. as you said, they did make some new fans on that tour, which is when I saw them, by the way, the Revenge uh, Tour. <laughs> where, did, where did you see them? At the Springfield Coliseum in Massachusetts, which is now something else. It has some other name. But, you know, there are these internet databases that list every concert of major artists that are such a great resource because you can't remember it. You remember you saw them, but you don't remember where. And you're like, ah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can even go to Wikipedia and type in like, you know, such and such tour and it'll come up with all the dates and venues. And it's it's really great to go back because you're, you're like, where, where did I see that in 1982? Oh, there it is. Exactly. I wish I'd taken better notes, but since I didn't, I'm glad this is around. Uh, right. uh, yeah. I, I saw uh, the Revenge Tour in Columbia, Maryland, and uh, I lived in Tennessee at the time, and I was a teenager, and my parents took took me to that concert, and that's probably my first uh, rock concert. I'd seen country artists, I think, at some, you know, at, a, at the county fair or some such thing, you know, but so that was my first experience. I think I was 16 or something and, you know, seeing Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart and the whole thing of that band, you know. Uh, that was your first concert ever? No, I, I'd seen people like, I mean, oh, but for First rock. non-country fair concert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and what a, you know, what an experience that was. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny that you, you say that because I went with my mom, who, although Frank Sinatra was the only one for her, she is now a huge Eurythmics fan. So, Really? Yeah, she loved it. And she, and she really knows about Annie. And she, she said to me the other day, I told her I was going to be on the podcast. She's like, wow, she's a really important and uh, influential artist. And she knew some stuff that I was like, whoa. So that's the kind of thing I was going for in writing the book, just you know, for generations to talk to each other about culture it keeps people young as they're getting older instead of being marginalized or saying oh that music is for the kids i don't like it what's not to like yeah right um did was that your mom's first experience with annie or did she already know the music she she loved um some of the hits i think because she used to sing here comes the rain again around the house so she knew that song so i told her who it was and and uh, yeah, then she she became a fan. So that is a cool story. I love that story. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so listen, let's talk a little bit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which of course you next are nominated again. Their second nomination um, this year, uh, nominated. Um, and uh, you know, you 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 have a, a book about Aretha. She was the first female inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Aretha Franklin, is that right? Yeah, first first class, class of eighty five. Wow. Wow. Um, and um, so, what are you, what are your thoughts? Uh, do you think Eurythmics will get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year? Uh, and what are your thoughts on, you know, because there would be some people, Meredith, there would be some people who would say Eurythmics, that's not rock and roll, because you always <laughs> hear that about, you know, fill in the blank, you know, their rap artist Dolly Parton this year who said who kind of asked to be taken out of contention because she said she wasn't sure she was worthy of that. I disagree with that, but um, talk, what do you, what do you think about Eurythmics and their chances of getting in and do they deserve to be there? 
I think their chances of getting in are a lot better this time around. I absolutely think they deserve to be there. I mean, I put her in a book about rock and roll women. So clearly I know, you know, I believe that the roots of that band are, are in deep, you know, have deep rock and roll roots. I mean, they do. Um, but it, it's interesting when I was writing the book, it was the year that me too happened. And a lot of things started to change for women in, uh, in culture and in business and, in, you know, stuff that, I mean, you could take it all the way back to the, the sweet dreams video when Annie wore that, that CEO get up and banged on the mahogany table or whatever it was. Um, you know, she was clearly thinking about this stuff long before that. Uh, we could talk about that later, but I really, I think that things are, are more positive now for women artists. So I, I think, um, to reevaluate their career in light of the last few years when things have changed so much culturally uh, for women, I, I do think that this will be the year they get in. I hope so. I mean, I hope everyone in my book gets in at some point. Yeah, yeah. you put them there for a reason. Um, the, you, and you mentioned um, that, you know, that you uh, thought that they, you know, would deserve to get there. Do you, do you think, um, though, that some people do question those kind of things, like how are you rhythmics? That, I mean, if you don't know, if you haven't really paid attention to the music and you just sort of know, okay, you know Sweet Dreams and uh, you maybe know Here Comes the Rain Again, um, you know, maybe you people have sort of a, um, a different take on them, but if you really have encompassed yourself with, with their body of music, you, you know, you see all that, don't you think? Yeah. I, th I think so, definitely. Um, and even if you know a little bit about the history and you look at the influences both backwards and forwards, you see how nicely they fit into that. I mean, people question the legitimacy of, of the rock hall itself. Why are we, why do we even care about this? Uh, but right. I think it's important. It's, you know, it's, it's an important distinction to make. It's nice to get an award, right? It's nice to get an honor, but as the internet has given everyone a platform for better or worse, um, it, it's good to remember that art is not entirely subjective. And so it's good to have an institution that kind of hangs on to and collects and puts things into context um, in terms of artists. And I think that's why the Rock Hall is important. And that's why it's important that Eurythmics be in, inducted into it. You know, Mark, you mentioned that, you know, some people might question the legitimacy of Eurythmics being a rock act. Because they might think of Sweet Dreams, Here Comes the Rain Again, the two biggest synth hits. But then the flip side of that is you have Would I Lie to You and Missionary Man, two very big rock hits. So, you know, you could always remind people of that. Hey, remember Would I Lie to You and Missionary Man? And they would be like, oh, that's right. You know, but, you know, you're right. Sweet Dreams and Here Comes the Rain Again are the two things that I think come up the most for people because those are their two most well-known songs. Well, and Would I Lie to You and Missionary Man both nominated for best rock performance for Grammy, mm -hmm. Missionary mm -hmm. won uh, rock performance. So you know, but the credibility is there. Do you think Meredith too that Annie Lennox's solo career, which is interesting when you're your Rhythmics fan in the U.S., especially growing up that way, uh, you know, they they weren't the most well known group or the you know they they weren't on the most popular. You know you. You were probably, you know, the kid that was a little weird if you liked Eurythmics. Not saying right. was a little weird, not saying that. That was me. We were probably all a little weird, let's face it. I mean, otherwise, you know, this is what a life in music does to a person, or I guess it's the result of, anyway. That's right. But, you know, <laughs> um, but Lennox's solo career took her to a different level. You know, she sold a whole lot more solo albums than Eurythmics had. They, they may have caught up, I think, Annie sort of brought those with her to a whole new audience. Uh, maybe you could speak about that from your perspective as a journalist, as a musician yourself, uh, that she sort of turned that to a different uh, way with uh, her solo career. Well, this is another thing that really fascinates me about Annie Lennox. Her and Dave Stewart with Eurythmics, they are like surfing to fame and uh, whatever else as MTV grew because they were one of the first bands that made videos that were art pieces. 
back then there were like eight videos on MTV when it started and they were all just someone put a camera in a rehearsal space and it was just the band playing. Maybe, you know, a lady in a bikini would walk through once in a while or some ridiculous thing like that. It wasn't an artwork. The Eurythmics made visual art out of it. And it was astonishing at the time. It was absolutely I mean, it was worthy of being in a museum, the things they did, the visual yeah. metaphors and the symbolism. And really far, you, you could write a PhD on those early videos. They're yeah. amazing. Um, and then, so 10 years later, Annie Lennox does it again as a solo artist on VH1. She coasts up with VH1 as VH1 is rising. Uh, all these people who are kind of too grown up for MTV, but were looking for something else to listen to. And so it goes back to what we were talking about when, you know, Annie, who's often talked about feeling like uh, depressed and at lulls in her career, actually her timing was perfect because, you know, her, her band got famous at MTV. Then as a solo artist, she does the same thing at BH1 as these platforms are expanding like exponentially. She becomes like the, one of the greatest blue-eyed soul singers of all time uh, because of that solo queer. And it's really in that voice that I think she belongs in the Rock Hall of Fame because, you know, that that voice reaches to to like the deepest heart of rock, of soul music, of blues. Uh, it's hard to explain, you know, it's it's really an intractable thing to try to explain what soul is to someone in terms of and in terms of anything, it's an immortal thing, but it's in her voice. So, so yes, to your, to both of your questions, uh, she did this amazing thing at both MTV and VH1 with her career and the timing was fortuitous and yes, she belongs in the rock hall once again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and speaking of the timing of that, you know, when, she, when, she, when she started as a solo artist on VH1, also around that time, there was this new crop of radio stations popping up all over the country that were like, adult alternative and they and they focused mo mostly on like female artists in fact there was one in in the san francisco bay area called alice alice at 97.3 and there again was another platform for the slightly older artist who's too old for mtv but not old enough to be put out to pasture or not hip <laughs> and so they ended up on these kind of stations and i think that was maybe a, a genre of station that was really needed at the time um, so yeah, it all kind of, you're right, it all kind of came together in the early to mid 90s with this kind of more adult platform for those who graduate, who are the graduates of MTV. Right. And she, <laughs> she shifted at just the right time. And Eurythmics didn't break up. They didn't make a big announcement. She just started doing this as, as yeah. her creative expression. And it's just, it's amazing. I want to mention something real quick, because you brought, you know, you brought it up about the soul. And that Rolling Stone once, there was a review, I believe it was, and criticized her and said she had no soul. To which Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders wrote a letter to the editor of Rolling Stone basically telling them, are you crazy? <laughs> I don't, I, I'd have to look it up. I'm sure I've got it somewhere. But, you know, yeah. I thought it was impressive. You know, Chrissy Hind, you know, I'm right on that, right, Rex? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds anyway, like her. It was, in the, it was in the review for "Be Yourself Tonight." She said, uh, "She simply ain't got no soul." You know, I I, <laughs> I ran across that reviewer about 20 years later. She had been she was doing something for a local paper in San Francisco. So I just sent her a quick email and I said, "Hey, do you still think Annie Lennox has no soul?" Did she write back? <laughs> Never got a response. Uh, well, it was a bad call. <laughs> no, I felt really good doing that. <laughs> uh, one thing I've always wondered, I'd love to get your take on this, that if Eurythmics had produced Diva, the exact same album, let's just say that that could have happened, I don't think it would have been as big. There was something happening, I think you touched on this. You know, it was... Annie Lennox had to do that album. It couldn't have been Dave and Annie doing that because you can you can listen you can listen to Diva and there are a lot of Eurythmics influence. You can hear a lot of that. You could imagine that being a Eurythmics album. And I wouldn't say that about all of her solo albums, but that particular you know there was that transition. Um, I, I don't think it could have been a Eurythmics album, and if it had been, I don't think it would have been as big of a hit. What do you think? I, I agree with you. I mean, the that band was Dave, who is an absolute genius, 
musically and is so funny and just you know you you see his personality in in all of their music and Annie who is just this magnificent contralto and also an artist without pretension um someone who is just interested in uh creative expression and uh doing good things and just sending like a good vibe into the world so anyway the point is that yes that band was the two of them i mean of course they had amazing background musicians i know you've interviewed some of them um but yeah i i agree it was a shift it was a cultural shift and uh who knows if it was something in the zeitgeist that inspired her to move on and make this shift or if, if it started you know you don't really know which does life imitate art or does art imitate life i guess right yeah, yeah. Uh, it is that way. Uh, did you, um, when she um, has also sort of become over the years without really selling herself as this, but she has become this kind of icon. And I think just from what you were just talking about, you know, if you read it all about Annie Lennox and I, she would probably push back on that. I'm not an icon or she would find that, kind of strange but she has become that icon when she was at what was in the grammys 2014 when she performed with hosier and they did a, uh his uh hit at the time and then she kind of moved into her version of i put a spell on you and that entire audience leapt to its feet at the end of that you know and what was she 60 some at the time 60 some years old at the time and when, she stole the show. When does that happen? You know, where she she's she's earned that, I think, hasn't she? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's all it's another thing I tried to do in the book, which we talked about a little bit earlier, was to not just explore gender issues, but explore generational issues. Uh, musicians admire each other and want to work look at Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. I mean, there should be no distinctions. Art is, is just art. And, you know, the fact that an artist can get up and do what Annie did at, at that awards. Um, it was amazing. And yes, yeah, steal the show. Absolutely. And that's because she's a great artist. I mean, people sometimes don't understand. Uh, I feel like now uh, a lot of kids just, they've grown up on TikTok and YouTube. They just want to be famous. They don't necessarily know the work that has gone into the making of an artist. Um, Annie Lennox had classical com compositional training. I mean, she rebelled against it, but that was her. But she had that. Uh, in addition to this innate and extraordinary talent, uh, her dad played Scottish folk music, this type of bagpipe music that I won't even try to pronounce because I will destroy it. Um, but there's a lot in in her that you know that is that makes her an amazing artist and one with such longevity. Yeah. You know, she mentions how when she was even a small girl, when she would sing, she could bring people to tears. And yeah, I mean, that still happens today. I mean, I can't listen to the Nostalgia album without breaking out into tears all the time. That is that. So, and, and again, yeah. it's it's hard to describe what that is, right? It's like, you right. know, when you hear it, but it's very hard to, to actually describe what it is with words. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a culmination of everything that just gets your emotions into the state and then you just get that way. And it's the music, it's the arrangements, it's the voice. It's also the era of the song, the many memories you have about those eras. Yeah. Um, and I find that as, yeah. as a solo artist, a lot of that was unlocked. I mean, even more. Obviously, there's a lot of emotional stuff in Eurythmics. But as a solo artist, she was really able to like let this emotional thing that is almost indescribable out. And it, it came to like its full fruition. Yeah, I think the Bear album is so interesting because, um, you know, you you feel the pain in that. You know what she's going through. It's not really hidden. She didn't talk about that a lot. And I think um, as a fan, I kind of always thought if she had gone out on the talk show uh, lecture uh, scene and just talked about what it was like to make Bear and what made it, I think that could have been a gigantic hit for her because I think she would have connected, but you know, Annie's always been sort of that way. She's, I put this out there 
Now it's yours. You go do something with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, she's very understated. She doesn't go out there and, like, you know, wave yeah. her own flag. She does it with her artistry and with her personal life. She's done so many extraordinary things for women around the world with her charitable works, her, her work with um, HIV and AIDS, finding an end to it. She's really done a lot and uh she doesn't she's not very self-promotional yeah no no um and and claude davis the you know the record mogul who of course signed to Arista in 1989 but he his biography and i was reading part of it and he talks about annie and he talks about how big he thought she could have been that that she could have had major hits all through her, the rest of her life. But he said he, and this was so interesting because when you think about this guy who, you know, ran record companies and he said he was always too nervous. He, he wouldn't go to her and say these things because he said just what you just said, Meredith, he said, she's an artist in the true sense of the word. And he would never go and say, Hey, let's do this. I mean, I'm sure he was like, we could take this song and it would be huge. And I just thought that was fascinating that someone of his stature would be intimidated. Just, you know. That's why he is the legend he is because to, to handle artists is not easy. Uh, and, you know, there's a certain way that you have to go about it if you want to bring out the best in them and the most in them. And maybe that doesn't always translate to huge record sales Sometimes it does, certainly with a lot of his artists, it did. Uh, but yeah, he had to, he had to let her kind of unfold as she was going to. Yeah. And also I, I think it's, uh, wait, I forgot what I was going to say. All right. never mind. Go on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that happened. Oh, to. all the time. <laughs> it was important though. Well, it'll come back. You talk about the importance of uh, your books, talk your, the importance of women in music and of course um sisters are doing it for themselves this iconic feminine uh, feminist anthem that annie lennox wrote and they went out looking for someone to do it with uh annie the, the story goes that they first offered it of course to tina turner who thought it was a bit too much and then claude Davis. yeah she, she said it was too feminist or something like that or... uh and uh Claude Davis recommended uh, Aretha, and that came about to, I think, Dave and Annie's uh, joy and surprise. Um, yeah. What about that song, uh, in, in, from your point of view, import, your point of view of, you know, the importance of women in music? What about that song? Does it Has it held up? I think so. I mean, it, it's, you know, if you put it in the context of, I guess, second wave feminism, which it would have been about that time. Um, and I hear this again now, which always surprises me when people say, when women say, oh, I'm not a feminist, or even when, when anyone says it. And I say, well, do you, do you think that women and men should be paid the same wage for the same work? Oh, of course I do. Then you're a feminist. Um, so, I mean, there continues to be this kind of, uh, this thing attached to that word that shouldn't be. But at, at the time that came out, you know, it, it was, it was appropriate for the the time. Um, I don't know. It's still a good song has, I mean, I think it's held up as a song. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, it's certainly become the feminist kind of the go-to feminist anthem, you know, um, I, I'm going to tell a quick story about, and Mark's heard this before and other podcasters have heard it, but when the song was popular, I, I was growing up in Florida, conservative radio market. The song was 18 on the chart, not getting any airplay on the radio stations. And this was after they played all her, you know, all their other songs. So I called up the radio station. I said, why aren't you playing this song? It's 18 on the chart. It's too feminist, was the answer. You know, it's funny you, you say that because there, and I think this is in the book, um, and I think it was Pat Benatar, that they would pitch her, her singles to radio stations and they would say, oh, we already have a woman on the playlist. We do not need to. So, mm -hmm. so you know, culture changes so fast now. And this is another reason why I love to talk about and write about this stuff and why the Rock Hall is important, because people's memories are very short, uh, especially when it comes to pop culture. So it wasn't that long ago when when someone would actually say that, 
we have one woman on the playlist and that's all it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. If this thing, so many things have changed. I mean, when I was a kid, they would describe female rockers or musicians as like Annie Lennox, comma, singer, <laughs> not songwriter. Sing. Debbie Harry, singer. Nowadays, though, it's Lady Gaga, singer, songwriter. Yeah. Beyonce, singer, songwriter. So I think we, we've come we've come a long way, I think, as far as things like that go, you know, giving them recognition for being songwriters. Well, that's where the money is. Of course, what, the money is in the, the right. songwriting. We always knew they were songwriters, but to, to have them called just singers was always offensive to me. It was like, she's a songwriter as well, not just a singer. It, it does seem to minimize... Uh, their talents for sure. And I think sometimes purposefully so. Uh, exactly. But yeah. even, even now the, if you look at songs, pop songs now, it's, it's amazing. It's really fascinating to me written by eight people, right? Yeah. Mostly guys. I mean, and yet the pop charts are dominated by women singers, but the men are, mm -hmm. are building empires. You know, these songwriters, there's like 10 of them and they write all the same songs. They, every song has seven hooks in it. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's mind boggling. Uh, so yeah. when I go back to uh, an Annie Lennox, it's, it's like, it, it just feels like, you know, sweet relief <laughs> because it's just, it's something I can, I can l latch onto. And it's not just a, a nostalgia thing. It really is. It's yeah. just a different kind of musical expression. Yeah. And it's not that we're, it's not because we're older either. Right. I really believe the younger generation will, will learn that eventually as well. Yeah. And I love, I love least, pop music. I love popular. Yeah. At least the ones who are really interested in music, you know, very interested. I hope so. so. I hope so. Yeah. Well, the fact that she gets on stage with Hozier is, it bodes well. It's the fact that these young artists who are very popular or enjoying their moment or maybe building an incredible career like Lady Gaga are, are going back and saying, and not just saying uh, this person influenced me, but actually bringing them uh, out and putting them in the spotlight. That's in the book too. Bonnie Raitt, as soon as she got some fame, she went and found Sippy Wallace, this very obscure blues uh, singer, songwriter, and she brought her on tour. She, she helped her make an album. I mean, very few people would share their moment with someone like that. But for mm -hmm. a lot of these women in the book, that was part of their whole thing. It's like I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna lift up other women. Annie does it too. Annie's whole deal is women lifting up other women, and she she doesn't even talk about it that much. But she's all about that. No. Yeah. Even Dave Stewart worked with Etta James in the late '80s and did a single with her, and I, I just thought that was fantastic to 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 have him working with a, a an R and B icon like that. That's um, where that's yeah. where their hearts were. That's where they come from, mm -hmm. and that's why they exactly. they belong in the rock hall because you know these influences built who they are as musicians. I mean, they had they covered Sam and Dave on their second record. Yeah, uh, they should be yeah. in the rock hall just for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, a famous picture of them with Sam and Dave uh, back taken in the early '80s. It's backstage at some award show or something. Well, but yeah, I think he. Um, uh, which one was it Sam or was it Dave? Well, <laughs> um, probably Sam because Dave passed away in '88, I think. And, and, and uh, come on stage with them and performed it like in LA or something. And I'm like, oh my God, how is that? And I, there's no video of that. I was like, oh, I bet you there is somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, pictures or it didn't happen. We just haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. But Meredith, you made an interesting comment earlier about. Um, artists and their influences and how listeners will go back and discover those artists based on, you know, that they love the current artists. Like for instance, for me with Annie Lennox, she loved Dusty Springfield. Uh, so I, when I was like, you know, 17 years old, I was about buying Dusty Springfield records because I wanted to, I mean, I knew who Dusty Springfield was, but I didn't really had not dived into it. So there is that thing about, people who love music will go and seek out um, the people that their favorite musicians have learned from, you know, there's a great quote by Stevie Nicks in one of her songs called rock a little, where she said, you learn from your teachers. And, and, and I, that really resonated with me back in the day. Cause it was like, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm doing. And I think that's what music fans do. They, they want to go and listen to what influenced their favorite artists. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that, Modern artists who mention Annie Lennox or other people from that era will inspire younger people to go and, and pick up the music and listen to it. It's a really cool lens through which to view the world. And 
it, you can do it with almost anything. If you're into food, you can do it with that. If you're into skateboarding, you could do it with that. But I just, I've always loved music as a, a way of, I mean, it's really American. I, I mean, also, you know, UK and history. It's history. It's an important part of pop culture. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it, it's so much more than that, too. It's, it resonates through all kinds of parts of your life that you don't even think about until you're looking at it. And you're like, ah, oh, that makes sense. It's like being a liberal arts major of any degree. It's just it's a, a framework with which to view uh, things that are happening so to me, it's always held that interest as well as being very entertaining and joyous and fun to, to see, fun to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you, um, do you find yourself um, more drawn to female singers or does it matter? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't, it's funny. I, I grew up thinking that by the time I was an adult, air quotes or an adult, uh, none of this would be an issue. Of course it is more than ever. Uh, now we're talking about gender stuff all the time in all kinds of ways that none of us ever would have imagined. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just what it is, but I never thought about it. You know, I thought about bands, like people say, were there women rock and rollers who inspired you to, I was like, I don't know. I, I just didn't think about it that way. And Annie kind of says something similar. She's very big on gender equality and and really does a lot of stuff to to make that better in the world. But she also doesn't uh, use it as a I don't know how to express it. But she just she doesn't really use a megaphone or something like. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. She's like it's kind of an understated thing with her. She goes out and does the work. Um, but she doesn't want to wear it externally. Right. She, exactly. She sort of lives it. There's yeah, absolutely. A, you know, it's it's an example as well. She she certainly will talk about it, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But she's she's walking the walk, talking the talk, that kind of thing. Right, and that's the thing about her not wanting to be called an icon because you know an icon is carved out of immovable material, and as an artist, you're malleable every minute that you're an artist. You know, you're always changing. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, she did so much to help with HIV in Africa, yeah. mother to child transmission. You know, that was a big, big issue when she started her sing campaign back in like 07, 08. Mm -hmm. And it's actually gotten better there. And I think part of that is to the credit of her and the, and that treatment action campaign and all that, that she worked with. Um, so you're, you can see the concrete results of, of, of what people do. You know, I mean, people say, what does this accomplish? Well, Look, mother-to-child transmission in Africa is not what it used to be. It's 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 not over, but it's better than it used to be. And you know, there's an awareness now. People are on the taking the drugs and all their antiretroviral drugs and all that stuff, which was a stigma then. Right. So she's done so much. Well, and also her caring about other people. I mean, that is part of of her voice. It comes across. It's why her voice is has all this beautiful emotion in it because that's who she is. I mean, we, my husband and I have traveled all over the world and a lot of people who travel outside of the U S and Western Europe, you encounter a kind of poverty that you could never have dreamed of. And Annie Lennox did that. Some people, they just go home and, and say, Oh, that was horrendous. She made an NGO. She has the circle, uh, which some of the stories, some of the things that they've done for women around the world, women who are really disempowered and, in terrible situations. Um, my favorite was the the pink cabs in Pakistan and where women were, couldn't have their own money, couldn't have jobs, or women didn't know if it was safe to get in a cab. So they funded all this fleet of cabs for women to transport women in this place where it's very dangerous to be a woman. Or the radio station uh, in sub-Saharan Africa that talks to teenagers. And after they've been like through hell on earth, they you know, they're hearing a voice that cares. And again, it's, it, yes, she does these wonderful works in the world, but it's also part of who she is, a profound part of who she is an artist. Yeah. And that's what you hear when she opens her mouth to sing. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because back in the eighties during the Eurythmics heyday, I, re I mean, you know, the impression I got about Annie Lennox from listening to her lyrics, listening to her voice and music was that she was just a very genuine 
and I hate to sound trite, but a nice person, you know, just a good person at her heart. And so later when, when all of the charity work came out and, and she began to go into that kind of thing, I, I thought, well, this is completely natural. This is what I, I guess I would have expected because I, I could see this in her just through the music and the lyrics. And I wonder if she were to hear me say something like that, if she would be like, how, you know, what? <laughs> but it was there. It's there. The kindness, the it's all there in, in the music and the lyrics and the way it's presented. And so I wasn't surprised when she entered the, the charitable field. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a natural extension and, and, and completely in line with what I had seen from her so far. It's also know? nice when the, the people who make this music that you love so much turn out to not disappoint you because I've met enough celebrities and I won't say, you know, who or what, but some of them are great. And some of them, I really wish that I had gone back to not knowing (laughs) what they were really like, but you cannot unknow something. So it is what it is. Uh, But yeah. And I I find it very hard to give my money to, to an artist that, (laughs) how do I say this diplomatically may not be the nicest person or doing the nicest things. You know, I just, I can't see giving my money to these kind of That's people. a really fascinating question. And it's something I think about a lot because do you separate the artist from the art? Do I, in light of what I, I, I learned about Ike Turner, like this guy also kind of was at the invention of rock and roll and such a visionary mm. and amazing artist, but he's Ike Turner and he did horrible things. Like it, yeah. I am tortured by these questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I it's, I have a hard time separating. Yeah, I it's hard for me to do that. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> I I feel bad about it sometimes, but yet it's like, eh. there are people who will Wait keep it. watching Woody Allen films. You know, they don't care. Right. Yeah, I've stopped that. <laughs> it's a little icky. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's just hard to watch a movie now after everything I've seen and heard. And that's know? true of a lot of uh, of people, especially now that people are talking about things. Um, again, with this democratization of ideas and the internet and everyone having their own platform and some of it's very bad, some of it's good. Again, I try not to judge it. I just, I'm pretty interested in the fact that it's happening at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to, uh, I'll change subject a minute. Uh, I wanted to tell you something. Did you know that I'm included in your book, Rock and Roll? <laughs> in, the bibliog- in the bibliography, where you source, uh, where I placed uh, something on YouTube. And that just, that is so fascinating to me because I'm just going through your book earlier today. I'm like, oh, that's me. Oh, wow. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I'm very. So, yeah, he sent, he sent me a picture of it. He said, look, look, look. I was like, oh my God. Oh, wow. that's awesome. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that strange? Though? I'm going to go find that after we, after this podcast and check out your your YouTube. That's great. I mean, I, I really, I'm meticulous about sourcing. So as a, as a former journalist, as a former newspaper publisher, I am kudos to you for doing that. I I was very impressed with that. (laughs) Made sure. Um, But um, I think I really want to thank you for being on our podcast today. Uh, You've been exactly what I thought you'd be. You've been so delightful and insightful um for this and um i really want to encourage people to check out your books i i haven't, I haven't seen the uh, bruce springsteen book but the aretha franklin book is absolutely amazing thank you Wonderful photography great text as well and especially this rock and roll uh woman uh book and not just because annie lennox is in it because these other 49 women rockers are in this too and I don't think we said, but listen, you know, you've got, um, of course, Aretha, Tina Turner, Grace Slick, Carol King, Stevie Nicks, Christine McVie, uh, Anna Nancy Wilson, uh, Linda Ronstadt, uh, Bonnie Raitt, uh, Debbie Harry's there, Chris, Chrissy Hind is there, Pat Benatar, the Go-Go, Cindy Lauper, uh, Melissa Etheridge, uh, PJ Harvey, Cheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette, uh, it goes on and on. You just, it's a great list of women rockers, even if you don't know all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. some, of, some of the early, if you don't know about them, they're fascinating to read about. Their, their stories are fascinating. And there's such a connection that you see that without a lot of those people 
And it, they may not, some of these people might not have even been necessarily a specific influence for Annie Lennox, but there wouldn't have been an Annie Lennox without a lot of these people that came before her. And there wouldn't be some of these uh, folks today had there not been for Annie Lennox. Right. That's exactly the what I was trying to get across in the book. So thank you for forgetting that. No one, you know, artists don't just magically appear on a stage, you know, out of nowhere. Uh, so for me, it was really interesting to get some of the history out. And I, I tried to include anecdotes, and I did for Annie's chapter as well, that really embody who they are as a person and as an artist. I mean, right, the Annie chapter starts, she's laying on the floor of a studio, like she thinks her career is over. She's not even 30. And, you know, it's just, that's kind of who, who she is. She, you know, very uh, introspective and and uh, when you're that age, I mean, really, it could be when you're any age, you don't see what's ahead of you. Uh, so I hope the book inspires some people who, when you get to that low point, just, you know, remember that things change and the, everything that you're going to do in your life, the best part of it could be right around the corner. So don't give up hope. I mean, someone else might have gone back to Aberdeen and gone to work somewhere, uh, but she stayed and and she kept evolving and we're glad she did. Isn't that an amazing moment? I, I just love the meant to be moments or the what ifs in life. And that, mm -hmm. that song, that song that went around the world and still going around and around the world came out of all that from, I cannot do this. I can't. And then suddenly it happens. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's insane. That's, you know, you couldn't make that up. <laughs> you know? Right. And how many people sometimes feel like they're all alone in the world, even, I mean, even famous people are often famously depressed. I mean, it's not normal to want to be a famous person. There has to be something a little, you know, some, some kind of thing that you're filling to begin with. Uh, but in a very tangible way, she has not only entertained people, but changed so many lives and had this profound impact on, on so many lives with her charity work, uh, with sweet dreams, with that video, just being a boss when at that time out of the fortune 500, maybe there were seven women CEOs this year, I think there's 74. So, you know, things are incrementally getting better. And I love to put music in this context because it, it really does matter. It matters what these artists did and it, the, effects are so far reaching, uh, almost incalculably so. Um, but just to take it back to everyone who might read the book or listen to the podcast or buy your rhythmics record, the things you do matters and you are connected to people who you don't even have any idea uh, what kind of positive things you might, what kind of influence you might have on someone else's life. It's important to remember that stuff, especially now, you know, post pandemic when we've been alone so much and, you know, dwelling in our own like sordid sorrows, uh, the things you do matter. So Annie Lennox is a great example of that. I think we we can't let you go without mentioning that um, you're in a band, the Damn Lovelies. Oh, I was in a, the Damn Lovely. I mean, it's we still we might get together yeah, once that's in a what while. I was ask. Are you are you still? Because my partner my partner is familiar with your band. The Damn it was Lovelies. a very good band. I love that band. Um, we played on Mountain Stage. We made the record that I always wanted to make. Um, so, you know, it's, I've, I've played music my whole life. I started playing guitar when I was in grade school and I just love, I've written songs. Um, but, oh. but man, it is, it is a very, you make a lot of sacrifices to live that life. And I don't mm -hmm. think I wanted to do that, but I love playing music. I still play guitar almost every day. I have the short nails Great. to prove it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, but anyway, yeah, Damn Lovelies. Actually, there is a an album that you can probably download for free somewhere. So uh, yeah, those are my songs. Great. Yeah, well, great. Thanks for talking about that a little bit. I was fascinated to read that. Yeah, and like I said, my partner knows of your knows of your band, so it was like, wow. Okay. We toured. We toured, You know, we were on that Americana tip, like when uh, someone was looking for the next the country Nirvana or whatever that was going to be oh, never happens the, that kind of you know. the alt country explosion right exactly <laughs> the alt country the roots rock scare of uh 2003 or whatever it was it, again like guitar being declared dead and then coming back to life it happens every few every decade or so 
Right. So, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, but we, we toured the country and we, we played on some, we had some very nice high profile appearances. Oh, and then I got the job at Sirius XM. So then I went and became a talk show host. So that was, that was fun too. You <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when we saw all your like talk show and uh, hosting experience, I'm like, oh my God, is she's going to talk to us? <laughs> Are us amateur podcasters It's here? my pleasure. But, uh, I think podcasting is awesome. It's <laughs> like everybody can now do this. You know, it's, you have. Yeah. And, and, and everybody can, you know, the whole, no, not the, the whole world can hear what you're saying if they choose to listen in. <laughs> I mean, more, more importantly, yeah. you get to say it and you get to put it out there, right. which is, you know, which is great. I mean, it, to take it back to you the mix, it's, you're the boss, you're, you're Annie in that boardroom with a cow walking around slamming your hand on the the big executive table you know you're the boss yeah. well we're going to end it there then. <laughs> that's a good point Andy. yeah i'm very positive and let me tell you i think you're fierce let's just say that. oh thank you you guys are fierce too indeed, All right. indeed. Uh, thank you so much and uh we do encourage people to uh, uh check out your books uh, check out your work on uh, on all the different platforms that you're actually on. And um, we really appreciate this. Uh, it's been a real delight. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so Thanks. much. It has been a, a pure delight. Same here. And thank you for inviting me and uh, and keep talking about this these amazing artists. Yeah, let's, let's all, if we've not voted for our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees, we need to do that. So there are a bunch of good people yeah. on there. No doubt. <laughs> Yep. So go vote. Go vote. You've got three days left. Gonna, it ends on the 29th. I'm going to vote right now. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank Thanks. you.